Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Youth Hoops Pod presented by Pro Skills Basketball. Today, you are listening to part two of a pre recorded webinar titled Overseas Professional Basketball. This webinar covers a wide range of topics, all relating to professional basketball overseas, including top countries, scale of pay, exposure events, practice and game schedule, and much more. Our guests are JJ Miller, Rashid Wright, and Ross Schrader all former overseas professional basketball players, as well as current directors within ProSkills Basketball, as well as James Blackburn and Daniel Harrison, who are agents for many overseas professional basketball players today. Thanks, Ross. Hey, um, James, I mean, you, you, you can talk about how you maybe – evaluate or recruit a player I mean I'd imagine it's in Daniel too it's similar to what we go through is like every player every kid and parent is like I want to go d1 d1 and d1 but like we're not like we're not magical right like Rashid said like we can't work magic like your skills got to be there and all that and then we can work relationships and, and, and try to do it so you guys have to be picky about who you work with because you don't want to commit to someone just because they say they want to play overseas and you're not going to be able to get them a job. So how do you evaluate and recruit players? But also there's a second part to this question for the, I, I, I've known actually a few players and I should have maybe brought one on this webinar who were not highly touted out of college. Um, like JJ was really good out of college and Rashid was and Ross was and uh, and I was like what f- for the players that like you know maybe they're D1 and they average eight points a game um, or they're D3 and they average 20 points a game or D2 and they're averaging 18 a game you know like good really good D3 or D2 players and like average D1 players like what do you guys recommend to them uh, that they do in terms of trying to go play overseas, assuming that their skill level is up to par. Uh, it's just that they need to break into the business. Uh, so, uh, Daniel, let's start with you, man. All right. <clears throat> so, yeah, it's a good question. Um, for, for me, and I think the advice that I would give for guys like that is if you're fortunate enough to be recruited by an agent or agents, I think it's there's two things. One is – you should sign with a guy that is actively recruiting you because that means that he actually wants you, okay? That means he has your best interests at heart. He believes in you. Um, and then another factor is trust. Uh, you got to be able to trust that guy. So building a relationship prior to making your decision, um, you know, if you are capable of speaking with him or her, you know, leading up to before you finish school, whether that's yourself or whoever's handling your recruitment. So, so for me, I think it's if an agent is actively recruiting you, try to start with that, the list of those guys, because they're going to be the ones that have your best interests at heart and are going to work the hardest for you. Now, let's just say you're not fortunate enough to have a large group of guys that are out there recruiting you. Another route you can go is, you know, the basketball community, it's, it's very tight knit, but it's huge. And, you know, we have, a, there's a big basketball community. You can reach out to whether it's your coach, um, you know, one of your teammates, whoever, and have them point you in the right direction of an agent, because then from there, uh, they'll be able to give you someone that they trust and has a good track record. And there's some accountability there. So 
they're not just going to put you with a guy who's just some schmo that they saw online. They're going to put you with the guy that they trust. And then there's accountability from the agent to make sure that he does right by the guy that put him in touch. And the last thing I'll say is the one thing that I wouldn't recommend, and this is what I see all the time. I'm sure James gets these. I mean, every single day I'm getting cold call emails from these players that are basically reaching out saying, Hey, I'm so-and-so attaches my resume. I'm looking for an agent. And you know that they're BCCing probably the entire FIBA list or the entire MBPA list. And I would just, I would not recommend that. I would recommend trying to reach out to someone in your community or your network first to connect you with someone. Because if you send out that email, you might be connected with someone that doesn't have your best interests at heart. They might say, okay, yeah, I got you. Ship you off to some place that they know nothing about, put you in a bad situation screws over your entire career. So that's one thing I know a lot of people do uh, as a last resort. I just wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I mean, a lot of it, now that I think about it, sounds like the same advice we give to our high school players. Like, don't just like mass BCC, like email coaches saying like, here's my profile. I, I coach, I love your program. It's like, no, no, like if you're actually going to do this and take some time, like be specific and, you know, write something more personal and like what you like about them. And I mean, it, it just kind of reminds me of that, but James, what, uh, what are your thoughts here? So, uh, you know, to piggyback Daniel, I mean, I agree with everything Daniel was saying. Um, but there, I mean, obviously we're talking about two groups of players here. One, you know, a group of guys like Rashid, you know, you guys that are getting recruited by agents and then two, the group that's not, I would say that the group that's not getting recruited, like let's say you're not getting any agents calling you or your coach or whatever, you know, you could do what Daniel said, you know, we get a lot of emails, um, but then you can also go to like an overseas exposure camp, which I think we could talk about later. You know, a lot of guys go to those camps just to get signed, but there's a lot of agents to go to those camps as well. So that's another way that you could go there, you know, showcase your game, you know, kind of like what JJ did, um, and then to answer your first question about like the recruiting side, like, you know, I'm sure I know Daniel probably goes to a lot of games live. I mean, I go to a bunch of college games live, different levels. And, you know, you're not only looking on the court. I mean, I can see a guy usually for one half just about and like be able to tell you like, does he have the body for it? Is he athletic enough? What are his numbers? I mean, is he a good enough player? But there's a lot of intel stuff that goes into it as well. So, um, you know, for players listening, I mean, your character, uh, your work ethic. I mean, all that stuff really matters a ton. Um, you know, two agents and then the pro teams as well. I mean, nobody wants to ref a guy that's, you know, constantly in trouble or doesn't really like basketball or, I mean, there's a, there's a laundry list of things that we kind of go through that I talk to coaches. I talk to, you know, if possible, their AAU coach. I mean, you could kind of pick it up through conversations with the player. I mean, you know, just as, when you talk to a player and they don't seem really interested, you know, like a college coach wouldn't really want that guy. Well, it's the same thing. You know, how well do they communicate? I and mean, there's a lot of things that outside of basketball that really matter. Yeah. Hey, Daniel, where is the, this is a question from, uh, from Lem Dozier. Shout out Lem. Happy birthday, man. Uh, where's the best place to find an agent? Is it strictly word of mouth or is there an online resource? Well, you know, to kind of just carry on what I said in, in terms of an online resource, yeah, the, um, you know, FIBA has a website where they list all of their certified agents uh, and they basically group it by each country. So if you're, uh, if 
for James and I, I'm sure, you know, if you go to USA, you're going to find our names listed there. If you go to any other country, you can find it there. But so, so, so that's where you're going to find your list of agents. And then the MBPA website also has a, in their agent portal, you can find um, the agent list as well there. And some agents have their contact information. Some agents don't. Um, but again, uh, you, you'll see that list, but I wouldn't recommend just uh, reaching out to them in a cold call email and BCCing. What you are saying, Brendan, if they do their research after looking at that list, they like what they see, then you can probably send out an email to that agent and say, hey, Daniel, hey, James, uh, you know, I've been doing my research. I saw you represent this guy. You've worked in this country. My name is so-and-so. Uh, this is where I played like 99% of the time I'll have way more interest in uh, reaching back out to that player than I would for a guy who's just BCCing. I, I usually, to be honest, I never reach back out to those guys with BCC through the cold call emails. So there is lists available, like I said, but again, I wouldn't recommend just doing it in a cold call way. Do, do your yeah. research first and, and talk to uh, your friends, your mentors, coaches, teammates, all that. Yeah. Well, hey, James, kick it back over to you real quick. You mentioned it. What are some good, for, for those uh, guys that don't have agents beating down their door trying to represent them, what are some good exposure camps for those guys nowadays? And then also, uh, JJ, you mentioned going to a camp out in Chicago. I'd like for you to maybe mention a little bit more about that. Uh, and then Rashid and, and Ross, if you guys have any more thoughts about that, you, you can as well. But James... Go ahead and start off like these days. Like I know you run an exposure camp, so you can even talk about that um, because I trust you and I, and, um, you know, I, I know that's a good one. But like where would guys go to find exposure events uh, to play in front of agents or teams or whatever it may be? Okay, so generally the best exposure camps are in Las Vegas. And the reason for that, kind of like what JJ was saying, you know, his camp kind of piggybacked off the Chicago camp. Well, a lot of the best camps piggyback off the Las Vegas Summer League, which <laughs> this year might be a mute point because it looks like that's probably going to get canceled. But um, all other years, you know, those were the best camps. And, I mean, I remember I think two or three years ago, it was like the peak. I think it was like 15, 16 camps, like in a, you know, 10, 12-day window. So that doesn't automatically camp. That doesn't automatically mean a camp will be good just because it is in Vegas. And it doesn't mean a camp's automatically going to be bad because it's outside of Vegas. But generally, the best camps, like, you know, you're talking about Mike Hart's camp. You know, um, Scores First used to do a pretty good one. Um, Worldwide Invitational now is kind of, like, considered the best camp, I would say, um, outside the NBA Summer League. And that, uh, that launched several years ago in Las Vegas. Um, and then I do one called the Coast to Coast International Camp. And uh, we did ours last year in Vegas, really successful. But um, players need to do their research with those camps. I mean, there's a ton of them. Um, you know, just like with picking an agent, you want to do your research. Like, you know, if a camp doesn't even really have a website and they've just kind of got like an event page or something, you can't really find any contact info, it's probably not going to be ran well. You know, look up, see how well stuff's put together, see if they can give you a list of the players that played there last year, how many of the guys went overseas. Um, who's the coaching staff, like a lot of the best camps, like with Coast to Coast, every coach we have that coaches at it is an active overseas or G League coach. So, like, that's the best camps do that. So, like, you know, do they just have random people coaching at it? 
Um, so there's a lot of different things. Do they have video from the last year? Can you look, see how organized it was? Talk to players that went there last year. What was their experience? I mean, again, the more research you could do with all this stuff, um, actually read websites. Like, you know, I can't, I know Daniel could say the same thing so many times where it's like players come to you and something is right there in front of them just if they just google it or just read a website or read something that was sent to them so if you just do that um you can really weed out i'd say 80 90 percent of them and then at that point you know there's some pretty good ones left thanks james uh there was another question are there any ways to get exposure to international teams while you are in college well before you graduate um I mean, I'm going to probably just go back to Rashid's point. It's just put the ball in the bucket uh, for the most part. Although, I mean, if, if, if you can rebound and you can defend, you might have a chance. But for the most part, over in Europe and a lot of these other countries, they want guys that can score. So, I mean, if you're scoring the ball in, in college, you, that's probably your best bet. Um, I'm going to throw this one to Ross real quick because this is a uh, part two of the same question. Is there any benefit to attending any camps or training in Europe while you are in high school? Um, and Ross, I'm going to let you, I, I, I love your perspective on travel on basketball overseas. Uh, so I'm going to let you answer that any way you want. Um, just talk about the benefits of uh, yeah doing doing any camps or training or whatever in Europe or any other overseas country while you're in high school? Sure. I mean, I, I, not that I did any of those uh, when, when I was in high school, I, I did not. Um, like I said, my brother was, when, when I was a junior and senior, my brother had a, in high school, my brother had a, a couple brief stints and playing in Germany. Um, so I was kind of familiar with it. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm all for travel and seeing the world and, and, finding out about different cultures and when I look back on why I wanted to go play overseas that was a majority of it as well as yeah I wanted to continue playing basketball I also wanted to go see the world because I didn't have an opportunity to do that beforehand um, so if there's any way that you can find a, a camp or whatever it is if there's some exposure and and you're the type of person that has a desire to to go learn something new uh, I mean I'm all for it and you know I think you know, Brendan and I took uh, a group of, of pro skills kids over to China um, a couple summers ago for a, for an 11 day tour. And it was really interesting to see those kids perspectives change in the course of just 11 days. And so many of them were, ah, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a homebody. I don't really want to go anywhere. By the end of 11 days, they were, man, I would love to play somewhere overseas. So um, I, I think it just puts that desire in you, that bug in you to, to, understand that there everybody out there is actually pretty friendly and and it's pretty fun to go learn about different cultures and be in different places doesn't mean you're going to have some some tough times <laughs> you're going to go through some situations where you're like what am i doing why am i so far away from home and how do i get back home you're gonna have plenty of those times but uh i mean if that's available i don't i i would think that'd be a great start if you have that desire yeah 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 I, and i'll follow that up too like i i uh, my first time, my first time ever to Europe wasn't until the summer before my senior year with Davidson. We went over to Italy and Switzerland. Um, and from a basketball perspective, it was like, I, I felt like I was in a, oh, I, well, I guess I was in a foreign world over there, but like, I, it was not the same basketball wise, just the way they played, 
the way the refs called the game. I mean, almost everything. It was really crazy to, to get over there and play the first couple times. So I would throw that in as well as just from a basketball perspective. Uh, you know, it could be helpful to get over there during high school or sometime in college to figure out like, man, this is you, you have to figure out a new style of play over there. Um, I have a question for JJ. Um, you, you were in training camp with the Hawks one or two years, I believe. Um, I played summer league with the Warriors, but never went to training camp. Um, how did you look at, um, and, and, and you can explain the timeline on this of when you were with the Hawks versus overseas and all that. And, and I think you were with the Bobcats too, right? For, for in, maybe in training camp. So like, how did you look at like NBA versus overseas and just kind of, I guess, kind of fight with the two or decide like where you were going to go? And, and, and also like, actually maybe during your time, initially that D league probably wasn't around. Cause I think it first started like a year or two, right. When I graduated, maybe it was, but like also in there, like the, especially nowadays, and maybe Daniel or someone, you know, James, you can talk about this. Like how do, how should players think about going to the G league versus going overseas? But JJ, go ahead. How'd you start uh, thinking about kind of the NBA versus overseas? Right, right. So um, I did have a little bit of interest from some NBA teams coming out of college. Um, so after I played over in Europe for two years and did well both of those years, um, the scouts that were interested in me from those particular teams, um, I, I think I had four teams, uh, Atlanta, Milwaukee, Memphis, and um, uh, Charlotte. But um, Atlanta was really the team that was really, really interested. So they, they brought me in. Um, and, and the comparison of the games in terms of the, the, the style of play in the NBA and the style of play in Europe, Europe is more closer to college basketball, if I could say that, just because um, zones were still there. There were no, like, defensive rules in terms of, you know, defensive three seconds and stuff like that. So they could kind of, um, you know, compact the floor a little bit. Um, when I got to the NBA and was playing with those guys, it was, it was up and down, you know, more of an athletic game. Spacing was, was, was a huge um, – difference in terms of the NBA, um, it was more open, right? Um, one of the things that, that I remember when I started, when I was started first getting in training camp and getting the first couple of days out with the Hawks was that the game was easier because every time that I got in a situation where I needed to pick up the ball or, or I needed an out, the players around me knew how to play. They knew how to get open. They knew how to make it easier for me to be able to get them the ball. They knew how to read the game based off the way um, the NBA style of play was. Um, so I did really well in, in both training camps, both NBA um, experiences that I had um, played really well. It was just a situation where the guys that were in front of me were already proven NBA players that were really good. Right. Um, for me, I think the difference was being able to take um, the confidence that I gained from how I played with those NBA teams back to Europe. Right. Because when I when I got back from being with the Hawks that, that next year, um, and me and, my, me and my wife kind of spoke about this after being in training camp with the Hawks and going back to Europe, man, I, I dominated that next year, right? Like, I'm, I, I guess because I just felt like I was supposed to be better and, and I actually was, I guess. But um, it was just a situation where the games were contrasting, you know what I mean? Like, um, it's a different game, like you said, in Europe. I mean, the referees are different um, and they could be different on a game-by-game -game basis. Um, but I think I like playing in Europe more once I committed to staying in Europe. 
um, and understanding that I was a part of building an organization and really committing to the style of play and the culture and, and what it meant for the fans, for me to be on the floor and how excited they got when I was able to perform well. And that's when my career really took off. So I, I wouldn't change anything. Um, the D-League um, was actually in effect when I first got, um, when they first came in, I think I was in maybe my fourth or fifth year playing pro. I did get two offers from two D-League teams to stay here and play, but the contracts just wasn't anywhere close to, to <laughs> what I was going to be making in Europe. So I decided to go back to Europe. Yeah. Well, that, hey, that, that that's a good transition, Daniel. Like, how do you – uh, look at uh, now the G League. The G League contracts are a little bit better than they were. Like, JJ, I remember, like, I got offered a D League contract, too. And, I mean, I feel like it was, like, the mid-level, like, $18,000 for the year or something. And it was like, yeah. like, no, that's nothing even close to – so, but, Daniel, maybe it's a little bit better now. But, like, how do you look at the G League versus the overseas options? Yeah, you know, it's, I'd say it's a little bit better. It's not much. Uh, so when the D League first started, they had three different tiers. It was uh, it was either like a player A contract, player B contract, or player C contract. Only separated by like seven thousand dollars, but that's still a huge percentage of your salary because you're getting so little now. Uh, the G League is set a thirty-five thousand dollar contract. That's that's it. That's set across the board. Everyone gets thirty-five thousand. Okay. So that, that goes into the cons for the G League, um, obviously. Now, there's some bonuses in there, but it's, it's minuscule. It's like a couple hundred bucks if you make the playoffs, championship, all that. Um, one of the better things, I guess, now that the NBA offers for, for the G League is they have these what's called an Exhibit 10 contract, where you can go to an NBA team's training camp under an Exhibit 10, uh, where it basically protects the team. They don't have to pay you any money. If they waive you, which most Exhibit 10 guys do get waived, and then you join their G League affiliate, <clears throat> you get a $50,000 bonus. Okay, so that's that's more scrap. So you're getting the 50 and then the 35K, and then maybe a little bit of bonus money. You're getting close to around 100K. But not everyone's getting those Exhibit 10s. You have to be a higher-level G League player or a borderline NBA player to get that. So – you know, there's also there are some more positives about the G League. You're you're, you're living in the states. You're more comfortable. Um, you know, they're, they're forming a union soon. That that'll help the guys. And then there's probably, in my opinion, there's a lot more negatives. Um, you, your lifestyle in terms of travel and stuff. You're bussing around to a bunch of different places. You're you're flying economy, which you know sounds like I'm complaining, but basketball players are generally they're they're big dudes and, and they can't fit in the middle seat of a Southwest flight when they're going from uh, Reno to Salt Lake City, wherever. Uh, you know, they, these are grown men that are also forced to live in apartments with, uh, with a roommate. And then on the road, they have to share hotel rooms with these guys as well. So the lifestyle and the travel and stuff, it, it's tough. And also just real quickly, the, the per diem that they give you. So you're given X amount of money per day when you're on the road for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> like 10, 15, 20 bucks. How is a professional athlete supposed to have a, a good, solid, nutritious breakfast, 10 bucks? You can't. You're going to McDonald's basically and you're getting uh, you know, an Egg McMuffin. That's all you can afford at that point. You, you can't go out there and, and get the necessary 
groceries or food or to the proper restaurant in order to sustain yourself to be a you know producing professional athletes so, so that's tough um and then you know so so that's kind of for, for the g league now real quickly for overseas pros and cons uh of course the biggest pro for overseas is you're, you're generally going to get more money unless you're an exhibit 10 guy in the in the g league where you're getting close to hundred thousand. where you know that's pretty decent overseas for some places you're generally going to be getting paid more than that um you know just i i think these everyone all these players here can speak the the life experiences i mean you're gonna mature and you guys are like <clears throat> you guys are way more advanced than these other guys who are sticking around in the g league and just in their home cities or you know sioux city wherever it is you've actually experienced life um you know you guys jumped around a bunch of different countries even rashid who's who spent his entire time in france you're still out there he had to learn the language on his own he had to do all these different things that helped him grow and develop and just like you guys did as well. Um, some of the cons are, you know, it's, if you're not a mature guy, you're, you're, you're going to have a tough time adjusting, especially straight out of college. Uh, there's the language barrier, uh, the food barrier. Like these guys are so used to having their very routine oriented. Some of these players, they have their set schedules, their set food. They go, they're not going to get that same food. They're not going to have the same schedule. They're not going to get treated, uh, you know, like the kings that they were growing up in high school, AU, all that stuff. They're just a normal player. They're just a regular dude. So if, if you're not mature, it's that's a tough adjustment. Um, and then, you know, of course, you're away from your family and friends potentially for a long period of time. So there's a lot more things that I can probably say for both. But those, in my opinion, are kind of like the main pros and cons for, for both sides. Uh, that's great stuff. Uh, Rashid, I'm coming to you next. And, and Daniel, you touched on it a little bit. Rashid, I'm coming to you for this question uh, because, like Daniel said, you were in France and you stayed there a while. And it seems like you embraced the country, the culture, the people, all that. I mean, you learned the language. You raised your daughters there for uh, the, the, their first few years of life. So can you talk a little bit about life? off the court um, and, and, and just from your perspective, how you looked at it and how you adjusted uh, and, and everything that comes with that? Yeah, um, I will say that me uh, playing in France for 13 years wasn't the goal in the beginning. I was like every other player trying to figure, figure out where I can make the most money and where I can go to be successful. But my, we had our first daughter um, my fourth year and everybody who has kids, she starts, stability becomes a big part of raising children. And so once I started thinking about bouncing around in different countries, potentially having to learn another language, potentially having to prove myself again in different countries, potentially being in situations where my wife and kids couldn't come with me. Um, I just didn't like it. I was willing to lose money if it meant that they could go through this, go through this experience with me. Um, so that, that, that was very, very important to me, but we really just blended in, man. Like I, I'm a, I love the game of basketball. Like I tell people all the time, y'all know, at, for those of you who are watching this, who don't know, after the basketball game, you have like a VIP area where you kind of have to go to, these are the people who invest money into the club. So you kind of have to go and they got their suits on, they got their wine, you got to say, Hey, or whatever. But I never liked that part about basketball. Like, I would go in there and do my 10, 15 minutes, 
um, because that's what we were required to do. But after that, I would go down back on the court to all the volunteers. And I can't speak to every country, but in France, you have this whole a huge group of people who are volunteers who don't get paid anything. They put all the pamphlets in their seat. They make sure the, the arena is set up. They're cheering their hearts out. They're from that city. They actually love that club. Those are the people who I hung out with after the after the um, the games were over. That that meant more to me. So my kids like going to school in France. I really like meshed into the culture. Like I didn't learn French in the school. I learned it from being the only American in the locker room. I learned it from having days where I said I wasn't going to speak any say any English words and just destroying the French language. And then people around me started helping me out once they understood what I was trying to say. They laughed. But I didn't care about them laughing. I, I I enjoyed them saying at the end of the laughter, being like, "Oh, you trying to say this? Well, this is how you say that," and that's how I learned. And then you know, so my oldest daughter is she'll be 13 in July, but she was born in Raleigh, North Carolina, in um, 2007. And then a month later, we were at BC France. So she, when we moved back to the state, she was in fourth grade. My next two daughters were born in uh, France, one in Portier and one. Uh, and say by yeah, and then we had a daughter when we moved back here. So that was just our normal, man. Like we lived in France and we get on the plane during the summertime, um, come home and see everybody. That was like our base vacation for about six weeks, especially when my oldest daughter started school in France. When she started school in France, they don't get out of school to the first week in July. So it wasn't like, you know, those first few years, you know how it is, that season is over. You're trying to get back home and see your family, see your parents, see your friends, whatever. But after my oldest daughter started school, we just hung out for six, seven weeks, travel a little bit, chill out, let her get out of school. We might miss that last two weeks of school and head back, but we just kind of chalked it up to, hey, we live in France. This is where we live. We'll hang out with people when we get home for a little bit, and then we'll be back. Yeah. Well, that's a, like, I mean, that's an amazing story. I got to commend you for having such an open mind because I know a lot of guys go over there. And they are not open-minded at all. They just want to stay in their apartment. They want to do the Skype thing all night long and, and you know, talk with people back in the States. They don't want to socialize with anyone in, in the country. They don't want to try to learn the language and on and on and on. Uh, so, so it sounds like you did a, a, a pretty amazing job on that. Um, hey, we got a couple more. I don't want to keep everyone too much longer, so I, I do want to hit – the few questions we have. Uh, these are for let James, let's go with you. Do agents follow D2 and D3 basketball closely? And also do uh, any of the panelists have any quick examples of very successful professionals from uh, like quote unquote lower levels? Uh, so James, do you follow D2, D3 uh, closely and do other agents? And then after that, we'll go with uh, Ross and JJ and see if they have any uh, examples of, well, I know Ross actually will go with Ross. I know you got a great example of a lower level guy, a low quote unquote, lower level guy. Yeah. So, uh, at me personally, I follow D2, um, pretty closely. Uh, I've had a lot of good success with division two players. Um, I've represented a couple of division three guys, but I don't follow division three as close. Um, and it varies from agent to agent. I mean, you have some agents that only rep NBA players, um, other agents, you know, they only rep overseas players, but, uh, but yeah, like, you know, the lower you go, um, you know, from D1, D2, D3, whether it's NAIA, whatever, it's harder to get overseas, um, just because of the stigma some of the clubs have over there. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, you know, there's some, 
I've had some really good D2 players. And, like, you know, just a success story, um, I've got a player named David Halton that uh, played at Purchase College in New York. He played Division Three, And, I mean, his first year, you know, he's a big guy, six foot five, but he played the center position, but really, really big. First year he played in Estonia, and he just finished up his fifth year in Europe. He played at top-level Greece. So he's already played FIBA Euro Cup and, you know, is – probably could play five or six more years and still plays the center position. I mean, he played, he's played now two years in Greece at six, five at the center. And I mean, just looks like an absolute freight train, you know, and he played division three. There's some big boys in Greece too. Like I played in Greece and that was the country that had the biggest dudes over there. Just the strongest, like thickest, <laughs> like set the meanest screens on you too. That, that That's really cool. Ross, what about you? Um, in terms of, did you play with uh, any lower-level guys that ended up being really good? Yeah, I got uh, two quick examples. One who I played with and one who I just played against. Uh, the one who I played with, uh, his name was Andy Panko. Um, and he is from Pennsylvania, went to D3, like Bethlehem College or something like that. Um, he was fortunate enough to grow like five or six inches in college. So he grew to like six seven, six eight. Um, I think had maybe – you know, uh, played on the summer league with the Hawks, maybe went to their camp, never played. Yeah, he might have had like a 10-day contract at some point in the NBA, but mainly played overseas. Um, and I think he was MVP of ACB, which is the top division in Spain, I mean, at least a couple times, um, and was very, very successful uh, and kind of worked his way. You know, when I played with him, I played in San Sebastian uh, with him, and we won the, the LEB, the second division that year. Uh, and he was a monster. I mean, he had games where he was getting like 35, 40 points. And uh, we used to always joke because he, so, he was so strong. And like I used to guard him. He was a three. And I was he literally, like in practice, would, would pick you up as he was post up and like throw you on the ground. And we get mad at him. Like, Andy, that's, that's a foul, man. <laughs> but he didn't care. <laughs> and he was just – he was so intense and worked his butt off. And uh, I think – I mean, he was probably five or six years older than me. And, I mean, I, I he – might still be playing or just finished recently, um, but did a great job out of, you know, D3 and had an awesome career. And then the, the other guy that I, that I played against was um, Brad Olson. And he is from Alaska, uh, either went to Alaska Fairbanks or Alaska Anchorage, you know, started in, and this is a more of a level, a, a story of like, you know, he was just a guard. He was like 6'3", started in third division in Spain in Santiago. Uh, his team won, moved up to second division. Uh, and then uh, from there, his team did really well. After two or three years, he was just killing it in the league and uh, got signed by Real Madrid. Actually, I think he went somewhere else. I think he went to Estudiantes first, which is in Madrid. And then he got signed by Real Madrid, and I think he had a million-dollar contract for at least a couple years uh, as a D, out of a D2 college. And yeah, not bad. A million dollars over there. Uh, hey, uh, Rashid and JJ, do you have any quick stories on uh, best random opponents? I uh, – in Germany, I played against Brian Roberts and Chris Copeland, who then ended up being in the NBA like a couple years later. But do you guys have any uh, kind of random opponent stories? I'll, I'll go. We, um, and this is just a guy I'm just going to like salute as a very good basketball player, which I don't do that to a lot of basketball players. I don't care how good they are. <laughs> But it was a guy named um, D. Spencer. I don't know if you know that guy's name. 
Um, but he played in Rouen. They went on a run. I think they won like one year. They won it all. Like they won like the they won like the French Cup. They won the league. And they won whatever other cup they were in. Like they they just had a great year. And I think he played at a, he played at a smaller school. Um, like Arkansas, Little Arkansas, or Little Rock. Or he played somewhere like that, Arkansas State, something like that. Only about six two, real skinny. But man, he had one of them games where he was just slippery. So for me, as a big guard, I'm I'm six five, I'm strong or whatever. If I can, if you faster than me, JJ attested this. If you faster than me, like if I can't stay in front of you, get ready to get beat up. Like, you, you you are now going to have to deal with this physical part of the game. You're not just going to be running through the lane, driving. To, I'm going to take on the least, get three fouls. You might think I want to fight you a little bit. That's just going to be what it's going to be. But he had one of those games, I could not put my body on him. Like, he would not engage. So he, he was just slipping. Like, if I was going to check him, all of a sudden he wasn't there no more. He's coming off another screen. Three. So now I'm up on him, and he had handles. He could, like get, he could get to where he wanted to get to on the floor. And that's one of the few times that I was just like, I can't figure this dude out, man. Like, he is just, he came into the game with, you know, everybody saying he's good. And then I played against him. And at the end of the, at the, end of the game, I was just confused. I was like, I just can't guard this dude. Like, or, and let me say, that night, I couldn't guard him. I couldn't guard him. So What, what was his story. name? D, D what? I want to say his first name is actually like DeWark or something like that. But uh, he um his name is Dewark Spencer. We had the same agent, and he played at uh yeah Arkansas Little Rock. Man, he's a heck of a player. Man, he's still playing too. Is he really? Yeah, he still plays playing in like um I, I want to say like Middle Eastern. Uh, well, obviously you know every league now is stopped, but you know what I mean. He's, yeah. he's older, but still playing and still getting buckets, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I've heard that name before. Um, hey, last question because again. Maybe we'll have to do a round two or something because we didn't get nearly anywhere down this list we wanted to get to. Uh, someone was asking, you know, what are some of the crazy experiences overseas? We do have a podcast out on um, on the Pro Skills podcast about kind of crazy overseas experiences. But I wouldn't mind, James, maybe quickly give us the cliff notes version of that story maybe you told about uh was it in iran about one of your players or uh libya libya uh. yeah so i'll give you the quick version had a had a player um i won't say his name <laughs> for the for the show just i don't know if you want me sharing it too much but um he was in libya last year uh right before they kind of started some more um i guess it was another war or some some more unrest and uh kept on telling him he needed to get out and uh by the time he ended up getting his plane ticket they bombed the airport the day he was supposed to get out um and then they had to sneak him out of the country uh him and the coach and the other american and they got stopped about four times at checkpoints with guys with guns and i mean he told me later he didn't think he was gonna make it um and uh they ended up getting diverted off their path a few times, getting taken into like safe houses and questioned and by guys with guns. And uh, a couple of the times they recognized them as a player for the team. So they, they were like taking pictures with them. And, you know, they, they were a fan of the team. So I, I told them, I said, man, that saved your life. You're lucky they weren't fans of, the, uh, of your opponent. Um, so 
he ended up getting back safe, but it was uh, it was a pretty stressful 24 hours trying to work with the State Department here in, in America, getting them out. And um, but uh, but he's home and now. We could laugh about it. So yeah, well, Jay, please tell me he was making a lot of money. <laughs> he got paid in cash, man, cold hard cash. <laughs> hey, JJ knows all about that. JJ actually told a story on our podcast about uh, essentially smuggling money back into uh, to the U.S. JJ. So I hope. Hopefully you don't get in trouble, but uh, yeah, I think Ross has a story on there. Yeah, Rashid's gonna be on there. Have a story, Daniel. We'll have to have you on there tell a little story. Uh, but we might have to do a uh, a round two because again, I mean, there's so much more to talk about in terms of the pay scale and the different countries and all that sort of stuff. I mean, there's no way we can get this done in an hour, hour, twenty minutes, whatever it's been. Um, so want to thank you all for uh for being part of this we will release this as a podcast as well in case people are out there that want to listen uh but uh i actually would like to do a round two so maybe we'll do it in another month and and we'll we'll cover all the topics that uh that we didn't cover tonight so thanks guys uh really appreciate it and uh hopefully we'll get together again soon i appreciate it guys thank you. thanks for having thanks, me guys. Yep. later thanks guys see you guys